Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show, which we have on every Friday at 830 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, I've got a great panel. It's going to be an interesting show. I've got a friend of the show back, Carrie Dills, uh, and she's got a little friend as well. If you're going to watch the video, you see a little friend. Oh, you are. So would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers, Carrie? Oh, sure. Carrie Dills. Uh, let's see. I do web development courses via LinkedIn learning and lynda.com and uh, teach web developers the business of freelancing over at the fearlessfreelancer.com. That's great. And I've got my friend, John Locke. Would you like to introduce yourself, John? Yeah. Uh, John Locke, I run Lockdown Design and SEO, doing SEO for manufacturing and industrial firms. And I've got Chris. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Chris Badgett from Lifter LMS, where we help course creators build sites with WordPress. And I have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast. That's great. And I've got Spencer. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Yes. Hello. Spencer Foreman from WPLaunchify.com. Right. We've got some great stories, folks. Um, it's going to be an interesting discussion. But before we go into the main discussion, I want to talk about one of my sponsors, and that's WP Fusion. What is WP Fusion? Well, it really helps with two fundamental things that should be part of your technology stack, and that's your WordPress and your CRM. And what WP Fusion, it puts those two things on steroids. And if you've got a membership site, a learning management site, or e-commerce site, you definitely need to look at WP Fusion. If you're a consultant, developer, power user, is going to be superb. So go to WP Fusion. And also a bonus is there's an exclusive deal to you, my beloved WP Tonic listeners and viewers. You you will get 25% on any of the WP Fusion packages. And how you get that is use the coupon code WP Tonic, all one word, uppercase, and you get that 25%. And that's exclusively only for you, listeners and viewers. So... On to the first story. Uh, um, WordPress users, stakeholders, known unknowns. And this is from a regular to the panel, Morton. Unfortunately, he can join us today. Um, who wants to start with this one? Crickets. All right, Chris. Chris, he's a good student. He put his hand up. Yeah. Right, Chris, would you like to start? <laughs> um, I think it's a, a really interesting article in terms of who are the personas that use WordPress, but I think it's the wrong approach because personas work really well for design thinking when you're operating in a niche um, or building a business in a niche or trying to market in a niche. But one of the problems with WordPress is it's, it literally is for anybody who has a website it, and, and more. Like There's other things you can do with WordPress, um, not just publish blogs and stuff like that. So I think if you were to come up for, with personas, like I've recently done this in, with Lifter LMS and I came up with like eight main 
uh, use cases and then I'm building business cases around that to help people understand how to use the software. But the uh, there's so many use cases for WordPress that I think it's really hard to lock in personas. And even if you tried and you come came up with like the 40 or 50 most common personas, you're going to be excluding some other use case, which is not at all in the spirit of WordPress to be exclusive. So um, I, I, I think the intent of, of that approach is good, but I think it, it needs a different angle in terms of persona thinking. Yeah, I can agree with you, actually, Chris. It didn't exactly gel with me. What do you reckon, Spencer? Well, <clears throat> I take Chris's on to something as well, because uh, although I love most of all of the stuff that Morton and Rachel are doing here in general, because it's just stirring the pot, and I like to be an agitator, especially here. The issue I see happening is that WordPress, along with the outside SaaS services, are all gunning to basically be an all-in-one framework or a platform to do everything that anybody might need for business. I think it's really disingenuous, uh, my $20 word here. It's really fake to believe that people are using WordPress for ballerina blogs and little freebie things anymore. Those days are long gone. It's a platform for business, whether you're an entrepreneur or a Fortune 100 company. And because of that, the agitation that is, I think, the, the catalyst of all this is that the guys, the men and women, I should say, running automatic have been acting like it's still some kind of granola hippie project in Oregon when, in fact, it's really a for-profit motivating force. And the rest of us who are earning our living from it are asking for direction. What the hell is going on here? Like, who's running the show? And so I like the idea of defining the actors in the monetary end of automatic WordPress. I think, as Chris mentioned, it's just a waste of energy to try to define who's the user? Who cares? I don't care who the user is of this thing, this iPhone thing, any more than I care about who's the user of WordPress. What I care about is what are the components that'll be available? What will they cost? Will the GPL go away? Who is the one that's in charge of making these drastic 5.0 Gutenberg changes or not? And should there be some kind of a change in the structure so it becomes more like a known entity? For example, with Google, Maybe we'll talk about the story today about how the Chrome browser was originally a Band-Aid to fix the fact that Microsoft was on a bender of, you know, being the evil empire. But now Chrome has snuck in the back door and become basically the only browser that anybody's using. Well, it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Like Automatic made this free granola project and we're all here because of it. But now it's like, hey, it's a billion dollar type of a potential to be the platform of choice. So that's where definitions would be good. And I think with a little tweaking, let's define the automatic WordPress side, but then just say, yeah, this is good for everybody to use. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there because, you know, going. Um, yeah, I mean, I get, I get what you're coming from, but to be fair, Morton did say this is just the start of the process of identifying absolutely. stakeholders. And then as an educator, I'm looking at it and thinking, uh, or even take it from the perspective of trying to plan a WordCamp and who are you creating your content for and what are you aiming to teach? And so I think there is what you're talking about, Spencer, in terms of creating a, a product and you don't care who the end user is. True uh, from a from a purely we're just creating software perspective. But if we're trying to uh, provide resources for people to learn how to use a, a, the software 
in different contexts and for different purposes, then uh, I do think there's value in, in identifying who those players are. Let's fight. Yeah, I'll see where you're coming from. What you I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think it's just a matter of, it's not, for example, if I was talking about an automobile, right? And I'm a big fan. I used to rebuild cars and now I'm like more of a just used car person. But I like some vintage cars. If we're talking about car enthusiasts, I could go and say, gee, are you a mid-1970s Corvette fan? Blah, blah, blah. And I could go through a hundred different people, mechanical people, non-mechanical people, paint job people, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely agree with you if you're saying, like, if we're going to do a get-together, this is for people who want to learn how to pinstripe old cars versus people who want to learn how to change the transmissions. But as far as a platform goes, I, I think that could, there could be 8 million definitions of who would use WordPress because they are just essentially using different combinations of the same ingredients, and it's the ingredients that are available and from whom that matter, right? As long as it's still an open source thing and anybody can make a product that works in that platform and sell it without interruption or without being unfairly competed against <laughs> Jetpack, Jetpack, then I think basically it's a good idea because it doesn't matter who makes the money from it. We all have a fair shake. Right, what do you think, John? I, I think I know what uh, Morton is, and Rachel are trying to do with this. Um, you know, it, it, if you look at similar CMSs that are open source, like Drupal or Joomla, they have governance projects. Uh, and the personas for WordPress, there's something very interesting in here where it talks about stakeholders uh, and holding up the ideology of democratizing publishing. Anybody that buys into this, should there be a stakeholder? It shouldn't be just Matt Mullenweg and the automatic employees. And I think that really that that, that might be part of, of why he's spelling this out in this article is... Yeah, it, it is pretty much pivoting toward being a for-profit uh, for project. Um, but I think that it is important to identify the user personas and the stakeholders. Uh, it, otherwise, you're going to end up uh, with something like Facebook or, or Twitter where, um, you know, it, it, where it's like, don't be evil. Uh, or, you know, just what it, whatever makes us money is the philosophy. And, and I think really that's, that's really what's behind a lot of this is, um, and I understand it's Matt's project, but, you know, allegedly all of us and, and the other contributors out there are a part of it too and have a say-so. And, and uh, I, I think that's a lot of what's driving this. Yeah, right. Thanks. Yeah, I thought that was a great point as well. Um, I think it's kind of, well, maybe they're attempting to clarify what this we is. This, mm. the, the we question, as I call it. Uh, I've been flippant there, but that's my purpose. Um, all right, on to the next one. Um, this is from Kinster. And I want to make it clear, it's one of my great um, sponsors, but it wasn't the reason why I chose it for you. And I just thought it was a, a really good... Um, article. We analyzed 13 billion log entries. I wonder who the poor soul that got that job. Uh, um, (laughs) Here's what we've learned. Um, Who was to start off with this one? No, I'll get it right. Good, John. Uh, You know, uh, there's a lot of stats here. Um, You know, Windows, uh, they have more visits from Windows on desktop than Mac. 
uh, more people on iPhone than Android. But there's something that I want to point out with this article um, that, that, that's beyond the article. A lot of people go into forums uh, like on Reddit or Quora or Facebook groups or Slack channels and they ask, why is my content not ranking higher? If you look at what Kinsta does, you know, Brian Jackson, Tom Z, and, and if you look at like how this article is laid out, the information is laid out in, in ways where they take time putting together these nice, colorful looking graphs uh, and pie charts. That's a big clue um, to why sometimes a content takes off or why, what makes it interesting or viral or why certain things rank higher. Uh, than than others, and I think that's where a lot of people that I talk to kind of like miss the miss the boat. Is is it's not just about the content itself, but it's the way that you present it. Put time into that, and you'll do better. Yeah, I think I think that's so true. But um, Chris, did you think? Do you think it had any interesting elements? And you're muted, Chris. You're muted. I was surprised how many people use Facebook as a search engine. I always yeah. get annoyed if I end up on a website and I'm in Facebook or Twitter, I think, locks you into. Uh, so I just found that interesting. Um, also, as somebody who builds websites and um, you know, helps others build learning platform websites, there's all the, the whole conversation around is the desktop dead? Everybody's on mobile now. This article indicates it's not really the case. I mean, sometimes my fear is that because I'm, you know, a power user, I work online and stuff, I have a, a workstation I work at with a laptop. But there's still lots of people who use the internet not on their phone. So I just found those, that data interesting. And also, um, one of the first things I do when I get a new iPhone is I install the Chrome, Chrome for search and I don't use Safari. And it, it appears based on the numbers here that Safari is like just keeps losing market share and not really competing with Chrome and um, Firefox. But I, I find that interesting as well. Yeah, well, they, they seem to be saying when it comes to Safari, when it comes to the desktop, yeah, totally. But when it came to the actual mobile, it kind of pivoted, which is interesting. But maybe I got the wrong impression there. But I thought the Facebook, what did you think, Kerry? Because we've been hammering away while well, we've been talking about stories that have been hammering Facebook. But when you see this, it still dominates social media, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So don't ignore it. But I totally agree with Chris that it's freaking annoying when you click on a, a, an organic search result, but it takes you to a Facebook page. And instead of opening up the app, it takes you to some page where they want you to do a, a captcha. I'm like, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. Or okay. other way around, you click a link from within Facebook and you're, you're, you're trapped in the app. You're trapped. You're trapped. Mm-hmm. What does your little friend say about being trapped? Well, right now he's, I think, about to take a nap. Yeah, I think some of the panel are about to do that, but it's this kind of uh, wake it up. <laughs> All right, uh, um, I think we go on to the next story. Uh, um, so this is number three, Gatsby. I thought, I thought, blimey, we're in Fitzgerald territory here. Gatsby, WordPress theme project partners, <coughs> theme shops to port popular themes to Gatsby. I had a, I thought myself, is this going to fly? What's all this about? What do you think, Kerry? 
I don't, I don't want to be a poo-pooer because there's a great team of people that are working on this, but I think it's easy to get excited about something new and then take the time, for instance, to port all, all of these popular themes over to Gatsby. But has anybody asked for that? <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe. Well, it's a, it's a powered team, isn't it? You know, the people, yeah. you know, um, Gordon, you know, if, I'm going to have to ask him to come on the show again, but he's a fantastic guy and they've got, certainly got some power people on their team. Um, but it just didn't fly with me, Kerry, and I think you sense that as well, don't you? You don't want to have a go at them because they're great people, but you just think, what's it all about, really, do you? Was it yeah. just like, there we go. Um, what do you reckon, Spencer? What do you reckon about all this? Some very talented people involved. This reminds me of, I like to cook. This reminds me of people who make pasta from scratch at home. <laughs> uh, when I was younger, maybe when my kids all go off to college and I'm single alone by myself again, I will stay at home and perfect the art of making pasta noodles at home. But in the meantime, it has nothing to do with the end result of why I want pasta noodles to begin with, which is to fill my belly with delicious Italian goodness and hold all those flavorful sauces. So I take pre-made pasta and I put it in water and it's ready in minutes. Porting all this theme stuff to Gatsby is about the same level of interest to me. And I would venture to say with all respect to the talent here, for most people who use WordPress, they really could give a shit about what, it's ported into or not. It's too esoteric. And I, I mean that respectfully because it is a fun project, just like making pasta, but I don't know how it has any relevance to most people. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I, I, I like our pre-show discussion. John, I'm going to throw it over to John because he, he had a good point on the pre. What did you reckon? Your mood? Oh, yeah. Off you go, John. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the point with, with Gatsby is it's a static site uh, a generator. That's what it's used for mostly or for progressive web apps. So it's React-based. So it fits right in with uh, how WordPress is, is moving toward a more uh, React-based with, with the Gutenberg editor. Um, so when I first, this is going to be an anecdotal story, but when I first started learning web development around 2009, not knowing what HTML was or anything like that. A lot of the people that I followed uh, on Twitter and, and, and stuff like that were more into um, things like static site generators, like Jekyll, uh, like Gatsby is now. And I think uh, it took me a couple of years to kind of integrate into the WordPress and, and like CMS uh, uh, type of world. But I, I think that there is a need for it because if I'm understanding this correctly, what these themes do is it uses WordPress as a headless CMS to where you can enter your content and then Gatsby compiles it and then makes it, generates it as a that was that was, the, that was the only interesting right. point for me because, yeah. you know, basically it... it it makes a static website, doesn't it? Yeah. So, so what we were talking about on the pre-show, really quick, was that um, a lot, a lot of the people in the WordPress world are more used to things like 
page builders and, and Divi and Beaver Builder and Elementor and, you know, things like this. But if you go over to that other side of the developmental world where the, it's these people who are more into, uh, you know. Well, it's pure corporate, isn't it? It's yeah. pure where you've got set teams, you've got like a couple yeah. graphic designers, you've got a couple developers, you've got a Linux administrator, yeah. IT person you got a whole team haven't you yeah well see this is why it was important like before when we were talking about defining personas of wordpress users wordpress users i mean for the most part they're buying things like divi or or beaver beaver builder or these but they're not aware of things like static site generators so it there is kind of becoming an overlap between these two worlds that venn diagram is getting a little bit overlapped now so I think it's good, you know, to look at what other people are doing in development and what other conventions are in, in web development, because that, I believe, is truly what will make WordPress greater. These, these are the type of things that we were talking about a couple of years ago with the REST API, the promises of using it as a headless CMS. But now with this, you're able to use it as a static site generator. I want to, what the- I, 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 I want to add something on, based on what John said. You bring up a good point, and I want to clarify something because this gets into my other like ongoing rant about where WordPress is going, okay? The need for a static site or page generation is enormous in WordPress right now because there's three types of page content. I use page liberally, post-type content that come out. There's non-logged-in static stuff. There is logged-in non-dynamic stuff. And then there is dynamic stuff, i.e. stuff that members need to do. And Chris understands this. All of you understand this for anything to do with an LMS or a membership site or with WooCommerce. Right now, we handle the problem by giving the biggest horsepower cloud serving we can, hooking it up with probably some kind of caching or CDN that has to selectively say, are you logged in? Are you a member? If you are, we're going to not cache these pages and you're going to get whatever this thing could dump on you in its raw format. But when you're, let's say, running a site for somebody who sells a trillion widgets a day and they need to have those landing pages instantly, what I'm left to do is oftentimes use something like a Chrome extension called single page. I make the page in Divi, then I download literally a static copy of it that is like literally a single file. It loads in like a millisecond, but it is not something I can recreate. I have to go build the page again and re-spit it out. When I have the choice of membership content, it's always this kind of little violin thing I have to tell the client. I have to say, look, if you don't want to spend 500 bucks a month on like a monster server with CDN, you're going to have to accept that your pages are not going to load on the membership side of things in less than three seconds. It's just not going to happen in today's world. If you want to change that, that's where this kind of stuff becomes really super cool. But I'm going to merge John's comment. I love that there's a sidebar. It's kind of like the Morton article. Like, yeah, there's this whole group of people that are all, let's figure out how to make static pages automatically from WordPress. But we need it to be a product. We need it to be a product that somebody who is an end user can buy and use. Like, I install the Gatsby blankety-blank plugin, and now I press a button, and it makes all my you know, high-speed pages static, and the rest of the site's still dynamic. That's cool. My other comments were not meant to be glib. It's just like we might as well be talking about the people who talk about Saturn V F1 engines and how Elon Musk is making them with 3D printing. I mean, it's super cool, but until we're all getting on a trip to Mars, it's not that relevant to the rest of us. 
Absolutely. See where you're coming from. Uh, Chris, uh, what did you think? I'm excited for the, uh, the project and uh, the, the, the idea of having static pages load fast. Like I've thought of taking my e-commerce site, which is powered by WooCommerce, and literally taking all the marketing pages, like the top five main marketing pages of a software company site and having them be static so they load like that. If Gatsby can solve that kind of issue for the WordPress ecosystem, I'd be super excited about that. Yeah. And then I also want to be real, like what Spencer's talking about with the need. Like we, a lot of our support tickets at Lift Your LMS have to do with people installing caching plugins and trying to speed things up and they totally mess things up. <laughs> and uh, so if this can be solved while also handling the three types of content that Spencer was mentioning for sites that are more complex in terms of logged in states and um, dynamic content, that's really exciting. But I also agree they need to bring it. This needs to spit out something for the people where it's just a checkbox is like fast sites done. <laughs> but it is cool, like as an insider to like kind of see them working on this project. Yeah, we're going to go for a break, folks. We come back. We got some. We got some other great stories to discuss. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. We've got a learned panel. Got a friend of the show, Carrie Deals, visiting. She's she's kind of hanging out in Southern California. She's got a dog with her. She looks relaxed, calm, steady. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a bunker. Uh, um, on to the next story. Uh, um, on, as we say, always on to the next story. Um, I thought that this is this is uh, one of my, my um, choices, uh, but I just thought it was just so cool. This remarkably agile robot hand teaches itself how to handle objects. Bloody either. Uh, what did you think of this one, Chris? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's just inevitable. It's cool. We know robots are coming. And I, this is just one step closer to the Turing test where one of these days somebody's going to bring out a robot on a video and everybody's going to think it's going to be a human being. And this is, we're starting, this movable hand is uh, just an indication that that time might not be too far off in the future. So uh, I think we need to get our, our act together in terms of thinking about ethics and also, the dark side of robotics in terms of um, being used as weapons and things like that, because the world is going to change dramatically in the next ten years. This is fun and playful, but um, you know, it's where the capabilities of robots and AI is just going to keep accelerating exponentially, and we need to take a conscious approach to the world we're building. I just thought so. What they might have achieved their agility and um, over to Spencer, it's better than your Boston robots, isn't it? They were scary, this ain't so freaking scary, but maybe it is. I don't know. What do you reckon, Spencer? The rule of this show is always read the comments. 
Always. The comments. <laughs> Since this is a family show, I'll leave it at that. But suffice it to say, when you combine the Boston Dynamics dog that can open doors with the other one that can jump over buildings, and then it has a couple extra soft hands that feel very human-like, you can imagine all kinds of nightmarish outcomes. So get ready, people. That's all I'm going to say. Pleasurable, but nightmarish. Could lead to some awkward encounters in the emergency room if you're not careful. <laughs> the visions are just going through my mind now. Thanks, Kerry. Thanks. What does your little friend think? All right. All right. He's, he's not of age to hear these things. <laughs> your little furry friend. What do you reckon, John? You're muted, but what are you in? No, um, you know, these are feel-good stories. The age of uh, us becoming cyborgs is, is already upon us. Um, and it's, it, 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 there's a lot of things that I follow in my Twitter feed uh, sometimes where it shows this guy controls like a cybernetic hand with his mind and people are seeing colors for the first time and they were hearing for the first time. And, and we see the advances that have been made in prosthetics. This is another one of those. At the same time, what Spencer's saying is true. Uh, there could be like a Boston Dynamics uh, situation where you have the big dog, uh, you know, aimed with, uh, armed with, uh, you know, um, these types of uh, uh, hands. But I know what you're thinking. I, I, I haven't read the comments yet, but I'm, I'm sure it's something like that with these... Um, I'll just say like sex robots. I mean, why would you, why would you even, man? Like, we, could you imagine if like the robots decide uh, uh, to, to turn against you? That would be bad news. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying yeah. that could be really, really bad news. Yeah. But, yeah let's but, not do that. But on a more serious um, note to finish off for people, amputees, the prospect in the next five to 10 years of, of having real solutions that offer almost flexibility and dexterity that wouldn't, you can even dream about and offering, you know, I'm not going to say it's totally replaced what you had before, but being able to help individuals so they can go back to their work and have a, a kind of quality of life that they would, you know, it's just amazing really, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Oh, that was nice wishy-washy into that story. I just wanted to be a bit more positive than the Boston terrorising robots that kind of kill us all. There, there we go. Uh, round, <laughs> on to the next one. Uh, um, AR will spark the next big tech platform. Call it Mirror World. This lost me a bit. but this. What did you reckon about um, Chris? Chris, you know... You're booted, so I'm moved. Let, uh, let me go last on this one. All right, go last on this, all right. I'll go first. And, go on, and Gary, I yeah, had a seizure looking at the featured image on that post. <laughs> Not super accessible. Um, That's all i got to say about it. All right, there we go. Uh, what do you reckon, Spencer? What did you reckon? All right, so this actually, you, you may have not realized, but I think you, you got a bunch of articles that all tie together in some way. This article goes hand in hand with the soft I think robot. That's high prize, actually. I know, right? You don't get that from me very often. No, it also goes together <laughs> into the conversation about Google Chrome because let's say, for example, and this is just factually true, I agree with you, that in a couple of years, whatever it is, we have two possibilities that could 
if used properly, improve human life on this planet. You have access to prosthetic devices and medical advances that could improve the quality of life for people that are suffering otherwise. And you have virtual worlds that allow people to go and do things, even if it's for entertainment, but also for phobia, curing, and so on and so forth, or interaction with human beings that are as good as the real world. Both of those offer huge opportunities for promising outcomes if they don't end in the hands of somebody like Google seems to be acting today, which is that, or they pervert them into some kind of a, a, a prison control mechanism or otherwise where the haves get it and the have-nots don't, like a Gattaca or that they pervert it into some other kind of abuse where they invade every aspect of everybody's life so they know where everybody is at all times. And by the way, if you didn't pay your uh, cable bill, we're going to turn off your prosthetic hand remotely. Sorry, you know, there's all kinds of room, right? (laughs) There's all kinds of room for abuse. So what I think we're talking about here is, without going political, look at the world we live in. Oh, why not? Let's go political. We we as human beings right now are faced, I mean, it's really, you know, the Chinese proverb, very, very interesting times, right? We have the opportunity to make the world a really better place for everybody. There's enough to go around. There's enough technology. But we have got to overcome this whole way we got here, which is, you know, everybody strives to get everything and put it in their pocket and then dribble it out for money to everybody else. There has to be somewhere in between. And I'm not socialistic about it. I'm capitalistic. It's just you can't take these technologies at a higher level that were funded with some other blah, 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 and then use them in the way that they were done during the industrial age. It has to be that, like, all of us benefit in some baseline way so that we all elevate together. And I I know it sounds very wishy-washy, but think about WordPress. WordPress would not have gotten where it is today if Mullenweg had been like, hey, bitches, uh, pay me like a Microsoft licensing fee for this thing. It wouldn't have happened. We got here today because at least he back then had that thing going on. And I mean, I'm thankful personally for it because I was involved in lots of other businesses that were acting in the 1990s style of, oh, your licensing fee is $500 today. So I think this is exciting that there's VR worlds, there's physical world improvements, but we got to get a little more, you know, on board with the politics and the humanity of it all. Well, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't want to go too political because this is a technology and WordPress show, uh, WordPress technology show, I should say. Uh, um, but, you know, you, you talk about, you know, you know go, the choice, but, you know, the, the choice is already there. You can see it in China. You know, you mentioned it where they've got this social graph system in China where people can log in and see their mark, you know, and depending on, you know, their mark depends on the price of a ticket for a flight or, but you pointed out, you you know, you've got a similar thing in Britain, in America, it's just your FICO score. But thankfully nobody can look up your FICO score in China. You can literally see like a, like a, like a child pedophile or something. You can literally see what your neighbor's, negative score is and if they're near you at the time it's pretty freaky when that's what's what's interested me is the total in the general news there really hasn't been any real criticism of the what china is building because to me it's pure 1984 you know totally cynical it's terrifying what what but 
that you know I've seen interviews of a lot of of the average Chinese person, and obviously they know they're being filmed by a foreign correspondent, and obviously Chinese security minders are around, so they seem okay with it. But maybe that's the reason. You know, but then there's other people that are writers, intellectuals that still that have suffered under this system, but still speak out. And I just I think they're amazingly brave, more brave than I would be. What do you reckon, John? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> definitely, the lawnmower man, the Matrix, all that stuff is coming. You'll no longer need to drop tabs to see stuff outside your window. You'll just be able to like strap on your, uh, you know, uh, augmented reality glasses and see that. So that that's definitely coming. Coming. And and what you're saying, uh, it's true. Like every most of these countries are headed toward a dystopia that's unique to themselves. And Spencer, yes, capitalism and social democracy can coexist. But yeah, but giving you know, especially in America, they're giving capitalism a bad name. For goodness gracious, you know, right. somebody trying to make a few bob for themselves. My God, uh, Chris, what did you reckon of this article? Uh, it's cool. I think it's a proceed with caution situation because uh, there's base reality that exists like outside of your body right now. And then we layer on all these abstractions and layers. Um, one of the problems that I look at often in education has to do with uh, the teaching is so far removed from reality and is built on top of so many mental models and abstractions that we miss reality. So this is where people build courses that don't work or memberships that don't get results for people. It's because of the abstractions of disconnection from reality and, and poorly built mental models. So the world that we build, that we mirror, <clears throat> is somewhat uh, alarming to me. If I think there's a place for you know gaming and Pokemon Go and stuff like that. I'm not against that. But we just have to be really careful that we don't end up in a Ready Player One or uh, I forget the other sci-fi movie where we're inside a fantasy for our entire lives. We already are. We live in America, Chris. <laughs> Wake up, mate. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. It's, all, it's also highly addicting. I see people like in these fantasy worlds, they get really addicted. And it's, uh, it's just something we need to look at as a society and with you know, our ethics goggles on. You know, simple things like where I think the new iPhones have settings to help you sleep, like a sleep time thing and like a time to take the blue light out of the phone to not mess up your circadian rhythms as much. We need to do that kind of stuff with the mirror world as well. There we go. On to the next story. And it's our final one. Um, we need Chrome no more. Why did you like this one, Spencer? I was reading it and I was just thinking about the again, dovetailed into what we're talking about today. But, you know, we were talking before the show. Chrome was originally a Band-Aid for the evil of Microsoft's Internet Explorer and the fact that Firefox was going through some convulsions. Uh, I thought Opera had hope, but that died. And then, you know, Safari, as we just discussed, has become one of those bolt-on things that you use on your iPhone because it's there. But, like, I never would use Safari on my desktop, even though I'm on Apple. So the issue, though, is that now that it has snuck up to past 60% usage and nobody has the will or the, the incentive to 
ungrapple it from everything. Everybody's getting lazy and starting to control stuff. So it's like, oh, you don't use Chrome. Too bad for you. And it's like, oh, well, the guys at Google can do whatever they want to Chrome because they own it, even though we're all just basically sucking on that nipple all day long for free. We're not going to raise a hand to fuss about it because like, it's free. Who cares? It's like we've just become acclimatized to it. And listen, I'm all for that as long as it remains somewhat benevolent. But I think that the danger is, uh, use a reference to a story. I was reading about those Saturn V rockets. And in those days, the reason they made that F1 engine was because there was 400,000 engineers working on the problem. And most of those engines remain the most powerful engine ever made, but could never be built again because they were handmade with slide rules and notes and like literally the guy welding things or the woman wiring things. And in today's world, we would have to remake it from scratch. My point being, it's okay if Chrome has 80, 90% of the market share, as long as somebody still remembers how to make something to replace it or to substitute for it in the event that it becomes a near total monopoly, because that's never a good thing to have just one source of anything. I think that's got, got an interesting point here, Kerry. Um, what also occurred to me as I was reading this article, it's the same thing that we've been discussing over the months about WordPress. And that's it. Is it open? Is it really truly open source? Isn't and with Chrome, it is. It's based on open source projects and technology, but it isn't. And is and isn't that the same with WordPress? It is and it isn't. You know, and, and really, that's not as uncommon as people think. What do you reckon, Kerry? And your move? Oh, circle back around to me. All right, all right, fair enough. Um, what do you reckon, Chris? Competition is a good thing in business or any industry. And at the end, it's just a cautionary tale about it becoming a walled garden. And as we go through time here, power and influence continues to stratify or concentrate into fewer and fewer hands. And what we just have to look at things like Google and Facebook at, being players in the very 1% of the 1% of the 1% of influence, that the things at the very top is where competition is needed the most. So, yeah, that's all, that's all I have to say about it. What do you reckon, John? Remember the days when Chrome was blazing fast and it was actually an efficient browser? Remember that a few years ago? The nowadays, nowadays whenever I start up Chrome, it's... The <laughs> spinning ball. Yeah, that's that's what Chrome is today. What, what kind of information are they collecting on you all that time? They're sucking it through their way, sucking it out your yeah. brains, literally. Yeah, but think about it. Think about it like this. And 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 what uh, Chris and Spencer said is very true. There needs to be competition. Uh, Harken back to the Kinsta article. Uh, the Microsoft Edge was 5% of the visits on desktop. So that might be an, an alternative browser, but there's always room for other browsers uh, to come in and do it better. If you think about what Google's business model is, it's serving ads to people. That's how they make most of their money. It's not through just plain search results. It's through the people who can't get search results, so they have to pay for ads. And it's all about data collection. So what better way to collect data than let's make our own browser. And now we can collect all the data that we need. That's how they collect, um, you know, information on, on your browsing history. 
without having to have Google Analytics on every website. They just collect it through Chrome. Uh, so yeah, definitely. Let's you know have different competition. I, I use Firefox primarily yeah, uh, because it's efficient, and Chrome just is not anymore. Maybe five years ago, but not anymore. So. Right, Kerry, you've had a moment because I threw a multi, one of my multi-level <laughs> questions at you. Um, uh, I apologise, but I just do it. Have you had time to calm down and then give me? I've, yeah, I'm more chill now. Thank you. Uh, I agree with everyone that competition is always a, a healthy thing in the market. Uh, personally, I prefer Firefox uh, for the reason that John stated, and it's just a. Um, Chrome has just gotten so overburdened and I don't know if some of that is add-ons or uh, other things running alongside task running in the background and such, but it's just gotten slow. So yeah. And then every once in a while I'll get really pissed off at Firefox and I'll go boot up Chrome, but (laughs) for the most part, like the, the developer tools, uh, they're great in Chrome, but Firefox has a really robust uh, developer tools and they've even got their developer edition browser. That's kind of slow. Yeah, I've stayed with Firefox. It's just sometimes that their updates, you know, they, literally my browser doesn't work until the next patch comes out and then I'm full to Chrome. But I've never been, uh, you know, because I agree with John, it's just freaking slow now. I don't know what the hell they're doing, but there we go. All right. So on to our tips. So my tip is a new translation um, plugin called Translate Press. I've been trying it out a bit. I haven't fully tested it. I, I might be using it on a project. And it seems pretty cool. Um, so go to trans, translatepress.com and have a look at it yourself. As, um, I know um, Spencer's got a, a tip of the week. What's your tip of the week, Spencer? Right. Uh, anybody who uses Gravity Forms, which probably is everybody, uh, should check out gravityflow.io if you have any need for things that are multi-step processes. I'm in touch with Stephen Henty. I'm trying to get him to let us help him because he's one of the lead developers at Rocket Genius. But Gravity Flow reminds me a lot, as you know, I have a relationship with Jack Arturo at WP Fusion. It's like the Swiss army knife for everything you could ever dream of for doing complex processes for your clients, for a membership site, for business, for whatever. But it does so many things that it's not like obvious when you go there. Essentially, it lets you take the input forms of gravity forms and lets you make multi-step, multi-person processes out of them. So you could start with like first person A does this, then it sends it to person B and they do the other thing. And then it sends it back to person C. And when it's all done, it sends it to the client, gets their approval. And you can just make these fantasy connectivities. And for membership sites, LMSs, uh, e-commerce, all kinds of stuff where a business is running, this could really, in combination with Gravity Forms, be the glue that holds it all together. So I'm hoping to say and do more with this. But right now, I it was like we're living under a rock and I can't believe it took me so long to find it. There you go, John, you got your tip? Yeah, my tip is a Chrome extension. If you can dare to, you know, deal with the Chrome, uh, you can install this uh, browser extension called Wappalizer and it's similar to Built With uh, where you you install this and you go to a, a site and it'll show you what technologies it's using. So if you're trying to determine uh, some of the underlying 
uh, things that made up a, a website or a web page. This will help you uh, do a little bit of research there. That's great. And uh, Chris, have you got a tip of the week? I do. I wanted to recommend uh, Vimeo's most expensive plan. It's called the Platinum Plan. And the reason is, is because they have the ability to do live streaming. I'm a big fan of uh, using the tool that we're using to record this podcast called Zoom for doing webinars and live things. But sometimes if you want to have a live happen directly inside of your website, like inside of a membership protected page or inside of a lesson in a course or something like that, you can do that with Vimeo live streaming. And how much is that? They're 79 a month. Still, yeah, still good value, isn't it? If you're going to do that. that. That called premium or platinum? Oh, maybe it is premium. Uh, it's whatever the most yeah. expensive one is. Premium, yeah. New premium. live streaming. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Kerry, have you got? I threw this at the last minute at Kerry when she joined the show, folks. I forgot to tell her, so she hasn't got one. It's very juice. It was down to me. You got any tip or anything, Kerry? Yeah, it's well. I'll just tell you what I've been doing this week, and maybe somebody will find it helpful. But um, I've been playing around with the Gutenberg blocks and, um, you know, the, the idea of or the traditional WordPress theme has a widgetized homepage. Um, but now with Gutenberg, you can make a block-based homepage and it's uh, pretty easy to do. I think you could probably do it with any theme that um, that is already optimized for Gutenberg, meaning it has styles for Gutenberg blocks built in. Uh, but just go create a page, make it beautiful with all your blocks, and then under your general uh, settings reading, um, yeah, reading, go set that page to your homepage and voila. Voila. You have a beautiful homepage. There we go. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to wrap it up now. Fa thanks to the panel. I think we've breezed through a number of stories, but I, I think we had a good pace. Um, Kerry, how can people find out more about you, what you're up to, and some of your ideas? Sure thing. Uh, over at kerrydills.com. Just one L in Dills. That's easy. John, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can find me at my website, which is lockdownseo.com. And also, I would encourage you, go to YouTube, search hashtag lockdownseo. Posting right. videos every day. Cool. And Chris, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? I just wanted to say thank you to Morton for his tech tip a couple of weeks ago. There's a weather app called YR that I've been using and it's fantastic. So thanks for that, Morton. But you can find me you can find, you can find me at lifterlms.com. I have a podcast called LMS Cast. I've also been just working on my personal website. There's not much there, but with Gutenberg and the new default theme, that's chrisbadgett.com, two T's and Badgett. And Spencer, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Right. Uh, when I'm not acting as a full-time beta tester for the new Festo Bionic Hand, I will be at <laughs> where if anybody wants, you can book a free call to have any questions answered about membership sites, uh, LMS membership, and so forth. The idea is uh, let's talk like real people, not in an AR world. Yeah, thanks, panel. This has been a slightly more light-hearted episode than last week's, um, but it was a serious topic last week, so it had to be a little bit less um, light-hearted. Um, 
Thanks, panel. It's been a great show. And hopefully, listeners and viewers, you'll join us next week for the WP Tonic Friday Roundtable Show. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye, guys. Peace. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.